All right, you guys can grab your seats. So, new building, same story, same Jesus. What God is doing among us is what He's been doing for eons and eons throughout time. And today we're going to be focusing on the second part of my sermon last week, which took twice as long as I thought it was going to, so I just cut it in half. And so today we broke up the whole uh, salt of the earth. Last week, if you want to go on Spotify, check that out. Um, But this week we're talking about being the light of the world, and this is something that is significant. Uh, It's a distinctive that throughout history, God has had this um, image that he has utilized throughout creation. And when he even uh, opened up creation, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. And he spoke into darkness light. And so it is that light has been uh, associated with both the revelation of God, his presence, his goodness, and also the, the coming of his kingdom to this earth. So when Jesus came, he not only said that, uh, yes, light has come into the darkness, but that he is described as light in the midst of darkness. That which chases away darkness, evil, brokenness, the curse, but also confusion, wrong belief and misconceptions about what life is really about. This text talks to us about our good works as lights in the world. We're to let our our light shine in the world so that people may see the nature of God in the world. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, have the very light of God within you, taking his presence into the darkness, just as God always intended it to be, to chase away the darkness and invite clarity and understanding and purity of thought in our own hearts and into the lives of others as we stand as images of God in the middle of this world. This is not the easiest thing to do. Friends, we know that. From the beginning, God uh, brought people into this creation in order to share his goodness with them, desiring to bring blessing and flourishing throughout creation. That was God's intention. And oftentimes people question, like, God, are you even good if you allow such a world as this to exist? Well, this is not the world that he desired to have. He desired to have a world that was able to be created and to live in relationship with him. And in so doing, to be blessed by his presence, his ways, his character, the very nuance of his heart was intended to bring out the nuance and livelihood of us all. We were made to fit with God's heart within God's creation. And yet we know that in the garden Sin into this world. When Adam and Eve desired to grab hold of blessing in their own way, in their own style, by going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and darkness invaded this earth once over again. As humanity lived outside of the garden in the midst of the darkness, there is this idea of darkness, the absence of of livelihood, of the presence of God, and also the presence of God who chases humanity. He chose Abraham to become this family that was once again blessed by God and and said to, to be brought into this relationship with him where he could experience the joy of blessedness or flourishing so long as he lived 
in a faithful, trusting relationship with God. And so he led his family throughout generations, hoping to see this generation after generation of people engaging with the heart of God as they were intended to do. Yet they failed, much like every other generation around us has failed to align our hearts with the heart of God with our perception, with the perception of God, with the knowledge of God, with the very things of his created order, we continually run towards rebellion and not alignment with God. And so as God even brought in this family, Israel, to be his blessed people, he said, I will bless you, walk with me, and I'm going to make you a light to the nations. There's a passage in Isaiah that actually describes God's heart for this nation of Israel. And this is uh, intermixed with an image of Messiah. In Isaiah 42.6, I think we'll have it on on the screen up here. We're told that God says to the nation of Israel, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will will take you by the hand, I'll keep you and I will give you as a covenant for the people a light to the nations. So God has actually selected this people to bless them, to actually bring them into a relationship and send them out so that they can be a light in the darkness for the nations who are scattered to become this image and reference point of what it looks like to flourish in relationship with God. Challenging as that may have seen, God brought these people into a covenant relationship with them. And we know that in the Old Testament, he comes and meets them on a mountain, Mount Sinai. He gives them the policy of how to engage with the way things are, the blessed life of relationship with their creator, the Ten Commandments. They're given and saying, hey, this is how you correspond your life with my blessing. Yet they failed, just like all others. Fast forward the story to the moment when Jesus came to the earth, the embodiment of the seed of Abraham, the promised one who was supposed to become the very light of God on the earth. And we're told that God embraces his son when he's baptized in Matthew, where it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And after blessing his son, He sends him as a fulfillment of the prophecy to Isaiah as he comes to those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. We've been talking a lot about the light of God and the dawn of God coming into this dark world. But in this moment today, we see that Jesus not only says, I am the light, he then says, And I'm going to send you, followers of my ways, my kingdom, those who have incorporated your life with mine, and you've chosen to align your heart, not with the fallenness of humanity, but with the heart of God, your creator. You have become the light of the world. I don't think it's by accident that Jesus goes to his own mountaintop, similar to that of Moses, where he sits down and gives the new ways of engaging with reality as Moses had in the past when he brought about the covenant of law. Jesus comes and brings the covenant of grace. A new code of walking out this world in a way that corresponds to what truly is. 
but it sounds so backwards, so broken, so undermined when we see the circumstances of life. When he opens his mouth, he is trying to communicate to his new followers how it is they are to recapture and reintegrate with his blessing that he designed from the very foundation of the earth. Let me say it again. God created so that we may live in a flourishing world and relationship with him. Jesus uses the term blessed to to, uh, incorporate and to communicate what this flourishing looks like. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, he sits down for this teaching, verse 3, blessed or flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed or flourishing are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed or flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, yes, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he turns and says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In short, Jesus is saying, for those who live in alignment with what God's true reality is and seek flourishing in His ways, in His kingdom, as opposed to trying to gain flourishing by our own life hacks and shortcuts and human agenda, He says that you, you are the ones who are in a line of secession to those prophets of old when all others were walking in darkness. The prophetic voice, God sent individuals to speak truth, to bring light, so to speak, into the darkness of brokenness and mishap and inability to follow God as the people of God struggled in the darkness. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted like them. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, in short, welcome to the remnant. Welcome to the faithful few. Welcome to the creative minority, those who are willing to walk in the ways of the unseen world in the face of the seen conflicts and chaos around you. Blessed are you when you align your life and your heart to what ultimately and eternally is instead of the transient passing realities and perspectives of our day and our age. You, you are the light of the world, he says. You're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Such a beautiful, beautiful statement and uh, an ability for him to weave us into reorienting ourselves in how we view our lives in the world. 
When we think about those who are, are privileged and have lots of wealth or resources or what many people believe is God's blessing, and we look at the own suffering of our lives, we can often feel like we are alienated from the common experience of what God is like. But when you look at the history of Christianity, people who are in hardship, not flourishing, not people who are having material possessions is the more common narrative of our family if we're thinking about family of Jesus. For we belong, if we're faithful ones, to the history that is outlined in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Those who sought the holy city, the city of God, whose maker is God. Those who, who were, were in the world, but the world didn't even feel as if they were significant enough. They were pushed out, rejected. They were sawn in two. They were chased away. They were the ones who suffered. Jesus says, listen, if you align your life with what is eternally and ultimately true, you will not always find favor in this world, but you must know that that is my heart for you to be faithful in the darkness. That is what it is to be a light in the middle of challenging circumstances. And I know that some of us are coming into this room, myself included, wrestling, going like, God, am I really a light? What light am I shining? It's so difficult to understand how to shine a light. We see different images of people trying to shine a light, and we're like, I don't know if that's it. And we see this other image, I don't know if that's it. Is that what shining a light is? Well, I want nothing to do with that. And then we find ourselves in this complex tension. Am I right? Like, how do we live as the light in the world? Well, my friends, I think it's important for us to pause for a moment and just ask the question, if Jesus says, let your light shine, that people can see your good deeds, what is the good that we're trying to embody? Who's good, right? Who's good are we trying to show off? Because oftentimes we can try and be good to one demographic, but it ends up becoming negative in the image of another. Or we try and please this populace, or we try and please this populace, but it ends up not showing up as goodness, pure and simple, to the whole world, right? Choose your poison. If we listen to the secular vision of what good is, equality, diversity, inclusion, these are things that we must incorporate in our life if we are to present ourselves as good to the world. Are we allowing that to be our primary shaper? I don't know. That's the question for us to wrestle with. Who is defining the good that we are? And who are we allowing to shape how we show up? Because I wonder if we just show up as other people have told us to, are we truly being a light or are we just blending in with the rest? Because one of the distinctives of light is that it is different. And one of the distinctives that Jesus actually describes when he says, let your light so shine, he's talking about a distinct, a, 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 a light that is is different than the light of the world. That the goodness of the world, the goodness of, of the people of Jesus is supposed to be unique in a way. Where we allow Jesus and his statement of goodness to form our understanding of what good is. That's tricky. So when we look at the face of, of what light has looked like around us, we can react and we can try and create counter lights, so to speak, and find our own space in the middle of all the complex 
different visions of what following Jesus looks like. But as for us, we want to follow the heart of God who alone has the ability to state what truly is and ultimately is good. Good is that which corresponds to our Creator's intention. God alone is good. And therefore, the world that He creates and the laws that He builds within it and what He speaks about it to be truthful or non-truthful, good, bad, evil, good, is the ultimate reality. And to the degree that we're willing to align ourselves in the midst of challenges or complexion, to that we will be the light in the world. So God's good. He tells us early on in the, in the Bible, even early on in, in, in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. It was without form, and darkness was over the face of the earth. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face. He said, let there be light. There was light. He made animals, and he said, it is good. He made day from night. It was good. The word good is tov, which is fitting, which is the way it ought to be. God tells us what good is. Not only that, but when he created man, he said it is very good. And built within that early flourishing reality in the garden, they were able to engage with God's heart for what good truly is. When we embrace God's way, even though it be contradictory to current opinion of what true goodness is, we, as the light of the world, who take up the mantle of the prophet, not those who are telling the future, so to speak, but those people who are speaking a counter-message to a world that is lost, a world that doesn't see clearly. We speak the truth in the context of a wandering world. We are the light of the world. So much of what we're supposed to be doing, friends, is not people-pleasing. We want to love others. We want to, uh, uh, yes, value and integrate and love others all the way, yet we also need to have a prophetic voice. That, that society has its language that it wants to use. I'm not afraid of language. Some of, some of us get a little antsy when you hear words of inclusion, all that, yada, yada, yada. I don't. I go, okay, what's Jesus' version of that? What does it look like to be inclusive of individuals? What does it look like to be tolerant? Because God's light in the world, it has its distinct image. There is supposed to be a contrast, even as we in work in the world around other people. Verse 14, it tells us this, you are the light of the world. Um, and this is more to do with twofold. It is we are lights as individuals, and we are light communally. You on your own in the world are called to live a distinct life that aligns and images who God is to the world. You in the, in the context of others, family members, church community, there is supposed to be a distinctiveness to the way we interact with each other. Frederick Bruner says this, there is to be something about the Christians as the way they are, about the way they live together and talk about each other and about the way that they relate to one another. They're, they're not always friendly in, in their, sorry, about the way that they relate to the not always friendly surrounding world. 
It is meant to catch the world's attention. That is, to cause people to ask, what kind of a people are these? Or better yet, who are these people that have been made this way? There's supposed to be something distinct about us. Jesus goes on and says, You are a city on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Friends, what Jesus is calling us to is not a space that is going to be easy all the time. It's going to stand out. It will frustrate. It will be challenging. It will call into question so much of the way the world functions because we'll literally be working against the grain of society. All of society has one way of relating with the challenges in life and has their own idea of what goodness looks like. And people will be frustrated at our nuances. They'll be frustrated at the way that we'll, we'll, we'll kind of like, hey, I'm just going to be a little, little different than the way you perceive it. And so it's almost like people are going to be like, no, this color's red. And you're like, no, it's kind of violet. We need to get okay with those kind of conversations and nuancing the distinctiveness of who Jesus is. Because Jesus, in the distinctiveness, is what makes him hope to the world. In his distinctiveness from the mainstream way of interacting and being good, the goodness of Jesus is what makes him redemptive and able to save and able to bring hope where there is hopelessness. The world has a semblance of goodness. I'm so thankful. If only Christians were good in the world, the world would be a devastating place, even more than it is today. There is goodness outside of the Christian community, yet there is a necessity for the goodness of Jesus to bring about the salvation of the world and for people to see that there is a hope that is needed more than just being good. Do you hear me? Oftentimes, when I think about what it looks like to be a light in the darkness, salt in the earth, our tendency can kind of be, we can be tempted to kind of just try and blend in. And that's fair enough, but um, we have to recognize that God has lit a flame in you, not merely just for you. Yes, he loves you as an individual. He sent his son to pursue you. He won't stop pursuing you. His mercies and grace chase us. But also, we are created to be a light to the nations, to be a blessing to those around us. You each have positions that God has placed you in. The goal of your position is not the furtherance of your name, your glory, and your image in the world. If we look at the words of Jesus, he makes this very basic uh, comparison. You're like a city on a hill. And he's like, listen, you know, nobody's dumb in this room. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, right? Neither will God light a fire in you and puts you in a place that your fire, your flame, the ability that you have and the determination to, to allow the light of Jesus to shine in your life, that it will be um, uh, insignificant. God will not light a fire in you and put you in a place that does not matter. 
So if you exist in a place where others are around you, believers, non-believers, you are there for the sake of God's very real presence to be a point of reference that they can look at and see that there is something orienting in this world in the middle of all the darkness. You are there to be an image bearer of God. God does not light you and put you under a basket. God puts you on a stand. What is your stand? What is the stand that God has put you in where you are in the eyes of the world? Yes, this is the place that it is most difficult for you to be faithful to Jesus. This is the place that maybe it's your home, your children are watching, and it's the hardest to show up in in goodness. It's the hardest to be faithful. It's the hardest. It's in your workplace where there's tons and tons of conflict and the words of the world around you, it's like there's a culture there and you're like, man, it's difficult. That is your podium. That is your place. That is the place that you're intended to shine. That if you do not shine, the darkness rushes in. There's a purpose that Jesus calls us the light of the world. There, there is no other. Jesus, as the light in us, we are to live as Christ in the world. The way we shine is to look less and less like the appeasement of social expectations and more and more like the countercultural way of Jesus. And I got to tell you, he made angry the liberals and the conservatives in his day. He made nobody happy except for the Father. Oh, that we would live in that way. That we walk into a space in the middle of all the tension, the tribalism, the confusion, and we would simply say, Jesus, what does it look like to live faithfully your life in this context? Even if it causes tension and trial and hardship. What does it look like for me to demonstrate your person here and live only to please the Father? More and more, I believe this is the primary focus of of our heart. The idea of being lights as individuals It comes directly from the life that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend the rest of the year going through the Sermon on the Mount, just looking at what it looks like to live as a light in the world of hope. And so if we were to look at verse 3 of the Beatitudes even, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, Jesus invites us to normalize this. And poorness of spirit is not poverty. It's not you are uh, holy if you don't have much. No, poorness of spirit is the acknowledgement that I am spiritually corrupt without the grace of God. In a, in a world where pretense and cover-up for mistakes in the corporate world and in every sphere, where corruption is rife, Transparency is countercultural. Transparency and a willingness to uh, confess our shortcomings, that's what light looks like in this world. Blessed are those who don't pretend to be rich in righteousness apart from Jesus. 
not only that, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. And mourning is not blessed are you when you're sad. I mean, I'm an emotive person. I'm a four on the Enneagram, whatever you want to call it. I'm not blessed because of that. No, I'm blessed in my mourning and my lament over my sinfulness. When I'm not just trying to, to avoid being liable or caught out, I don't blame shift as is the common practice in our world. If you've done something wrong, blame shift. It was my parents. It was this. It was that. No, instead, being the light in the world is owning our mistakes, lamenting over our brokenness, and repenting instead of pretending. In a world where dominance and power grabbing, Jesus speaks, blessed are the meek, those who have controlled strength, humility. Yes, you have the ability to lash out, but instead, for the good of others, you withhold your power to make space for others and their imperfection. Blessed are the meek. That's countercultural. That doesn't get you promotions. That doesn't get you to be the leader of the, of, the, of the community, of the group. No, meekness is not something praised in this world. In a world where injustice is all around us, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for, sorry, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. When we make our life and our desire to see not only our own lives exhibit the goodness of Jesus through kindness, honesty, but we also desire to see our lives used to bring about right circumstances, right treatment for others, justice for those who are suffering and without a voice, that's countercultural. In a world where putting up facades, two-facedness, and duplicity. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. You say what is really going on in your heart. You are not trying to make things up. In verse 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Authenticity, a single desire, no hidden motives. People can trust us. Let me bounce back up to 7. I accidentally skipped it. In a world where power and influence are gained through the temptation of exploitation, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When we show up merciful to others, when we see opportunities to take, and we choose to give, and we pass up a profit, we pass up an advantage that we could have over someone else, this is what it is to be a light in the world. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. In a world that is blended and overrun by tribalism, we pursue oneness and seek reconciliation at a cost to ourselves, willing to fight for it. Finally, in a world where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, man, there's going to be times where it's going to be easier to be subjective in our truth claims, to kind of just go, eh, it's fine, it doesn't matter, it's not a big deal. It will be a light in the darkness for us to walk those conversations, hear me, in gentle conviction. Gentle conviction. You see, even in 
in the world's perspective of Christianity, people have seen conviction in the church, and they've seen gentleness in the church, or we're either like, it's no big deal, or it's like, it is a big deal. What Jesus is after is this middle space where as Jesus embodied both truth and grace, one in each hand, he comes to people with this love that precedes truth. To love them as he speaks and as we embody a community where we love and bring truth, this gentle conviction stands the light in the world. It's my heart that we would be a community that would embody these things by honoring people around us and coming together, practicing the way of love, which is seeing, hearing, caring, and loving God and others in community and in love. That we would practice simplicity. One author said, the ways that the church loves the world and your light shining so that people give glory to God and not to you is going to look less like Production, it's going to look less like, wow, those people are amazing, and it's going, to be look, it's going to look more like simplicity. Our actions are going to look more like simplicity. The way we do things is just as important as what we do. So as we come together and practice a way of life that is simple and built around communion with God, community with one another, and compassion towards the world, it is my hope that this place will be a place where people can come and experience the pure goodness of Jesus. That it'll be a place where you, as you come and wrestle in different moments of your faith, that you can come and find hope in Christ, that the very nature of Jesus will infuse the way that we have uh, good times, the way we celebrate, the way that we mourn, and the way that we wrestle with ourself, the faith, and each other. Would Jesus' kingdom be so normalized in this house that we would be like a light in the middle of our community, a light that we know we can point people towards Christ together. Jesus says this, you, you are the light of the world. And I know that today you may not feel like you are the person who's got the most brilliant ability to show the light of God. Maybe today you're walking in darkness. You have not experienced the light of God's presence even into your soul where you said, I am lost. I don't know what it is to live a way that is, is in alignment with God's heart. What I've been trying is not working. I'm lost and I need to know where life is found. If that's you today, we're told that Jesus comes as the dawn and dawns in our darkness. He is coming to shine light into our darkness. Today, if you're here and you have received Jesus, he has come into your life and yet you're frail. You're struggling. You know that you're in the world and you're Light is like a candle flickering. I've said it many times before. One of my favorite um, um, images of Jesus is spoken of 
in Isaiah 42, the passage we already read from where he says, I'm going to send you as a light into the world. I, I want to read it, but I'm not going to. Go home and read 42 tonight. It says this, the same place that he says, I'm going to send you as a light to the world. He says, and the Messiah, a bruised reed he won't break, and a flickering flame he will not quench. You are the light of the world for the sake of those in the world. Jesus has lit a flame in each of our lives as we have given our heart to him. If it's flickering today, I want you to know that one of the ways that Jesus is, is one who cups his hands around a flickering flame to protect it from going out. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you don't have the resources to even think about flickering flame and bringing light to others today, oh, that you would breathe in the Spirit's breath that he would make the flame of your heart glow once again. God wants to revive you again, day by day, moment by moment. So, wherever you are this evening, know this, God has called you, he has lit you, and he has placed you to be a blessing to the world, a resource and a place for people to run who are in darkness so that you can point them to Jesus. The one place that we can grow in our ability to shine the light of God is His presence. It's not your own light. We've got no light of our own. He is the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Tonight, as we take a pause before we take communion, I want to invite you to kind of just do a little heart check. Where are you at? What's going on in your soul if, you're, if your soul is a wick? Is it, is it, has it been lit? Has the light of the world come to you in the face of Jesus who says, apart from me, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. No light. No hope. Darkness. Have you seen Jesus or will you see him today and say, I want life within me, Jesus. I want your light to come into my heart to make sense of this darkness, to chase it away, to chase away shame, sin, regret, confusion, hopelessness. Even now, if that's you, you can say, Jesus, please, will you come into my life? You're the light of the world. I need you. 
come into my life and I want to build my life around you. Show me your ways. Others, you may be in a space where if you're being honest, your, your flame has been lit. But man, it's flickering. It's flickering and just barely there. One, Jesus is not mad at you. He will go to hell and back to protect you and nurse you through this moment. Because of His death, His grace has created a space for you. And He fights back every evil, every conflict that would want to blow that flame out. Just tell Him thank you tonight. Jesus, thank you for cupping your hands around my heart. I would encourage you as you're taking breaths in to even envision the Spirit of God. Spirit, just breathe on the flickering flame gently. Gently. And finally, some of you, you know you're in a spot. God's lit your life. And you're not sure what to do with the platform He's given you. Oh, that you would normalize that wrestling of going, Jesus, help me to just live for you. To demonstrate your ways in the middle of such a challenging world. I'm going to pray for us. Typically we'll have some Q&A, but not tonight. Um, Just want us to be able to sit in God's presence and breathe in His life and light. Um, if you have questions, save it for next week. But right now we're going to take our time to uh, worship Jesus, bring what we are to him, invite his spirit to blow through this place and reinvigorate us. During this time, we're going to take communion. Um, It's part of my desire and heart that uh, the Lord's Supper would be central to what we do. Because... Christianity, the way of Jesus, is not built around what we do. He blesses us before He sends us. And you are blessed in God as you've brought yourself into relationship with Him. That's how you align yourself with God. His riches, His blessing, His flourishing is by receiving His grace and giving your sin away and being captured by Him and offering who you are to His table. So tonight, um, I just encourage you as a sign of you aligning yourself with God, His reality, His heart. When you take communion, I encourage you to just say, God, this is a sign to you that I am aligning myself with your ways. And I invite your goodness to form my life because this is where it's found in you. Amen.